Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. He should come to the Clippers. I'd come off the bench. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax Basketball Monster and today's episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and use the promo code LOFANTASY and that gets you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. My name, of course, it is Josh Lloyd and as always, you can find me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. I've been uh, promoting the uh, the cash league on Fantrax, play Josh Lloyd. That league is full, so the other 11 people in that league, um, good luck, but not too much luck. I look forward to drafting with you guys Thursday night, US time. As I said, it was a $100 8-cat roto league, $750 first place, I think 300 for second and $100 for third place. I've got pick 11, which I'm not happy about. It's, it's not a great pick. Um, I had it yesterday in the mock draft that went, all sorts of uh, ways wrong, but I think I recovered nicely. And for you guys who haven't seen the article, well, you haven't seen the article yet because I haven't posted it yet on Basketball Monster. I was going to give you the projected standings for that league. I came out third in uh, in projected standings in that league. Bacon Juice was second, and I think, oh, I should wish I had this in front of me. I think Masai Tank came out number one, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that today. What we're going to be doing in today's episode is we're going to be looking at draft day tips. So just some general thought processes, some general ideas uh, about your draft, which a lot of drafts are coming up this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, these last five, six days before the season starts. This is when a lot of, I know a lot of drafts have already happened, um, but there's a lot more that are coming. So I'm going to be talking about draft day tips. I'm also going to be answering your questions that you sent in. And before we get into the draft day tips, I'm going to go through some news that's happened over the last 24 hours. So let's get to it. To it. All right. We've got, uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. So as I've said, let's get to it. Now, let's talk, first of all, about Anthony Davis. Good news. Now, I, I hope you guys think it's good news. Well, it's definitely good news. There's no other way around it. Anthony Davis looks like he's going to be ready for opening night. He's actually considered probable for Thursday's preseason game. So if you're probable for a preseason game, and then you've got another five days until opening night, he's going to play. So everyone's sky is falling situation with Anthony Davis. He's already injured. Yeah, he, he did sprain his ankle. He missed about four days. It's not a big time. Is it a week, maybe? It's not a big deal. Again, it didn't bother me. I know it bothered a lot of people. I've still maintained that I think Davis is going to be in for a big season, and the slide only helps him. I hope that he slides to number 11 in this roto draft that I'm doing tomorrow. I'll be I'll be wrapped. There's a possibility. Probably not. But you're going to be able to get Davis in some situations at 7 or 8 or 9, and that's just it's just way too low for him to, to go there. So... You might be in a league where everyone's, I'm not touching him. He's burnt me before. And you know that I hate that, that attitude of, oh, he's burnt me before. So therefore I can't, uh, I can't draft him again. It, it's a frustrating. And I understand that. And again, this all comes down to this book that I'm one day going to write, this psychology of fantasy basketball. It all comes down to that. 
if I'm picking a pick 10 and Anthony Davis is there, I I cannot push draft quick enough unless someone else that I like, even unless Carl Anthony Towns is slid or Kevin Durant is slid or someone like that, then I might be a bit hesitant. But I'm, I'm pretty happy with getting Anthony Davis at, at that spot in a draft, uh, this is only uh, this is only good news for him at this point, and uh, I sure I'm I'm assuming we all you know, like a, a, a dose of uh, of good news. Before we get into the next news item, it's time for me to tell you a bit more about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to find tickets for, for any games, football games, basketball games, whatever games that you're going to coming up. SeatGeek is the best way for you to find tickets if you want to see them up close and in person. There's nothing like being at the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for a great value. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Wherever I am, just a few clicks or a few taps on the phone, I can instantly find my seats for this weekend, any games, Friday night, preseason action, opening night, whatever, SeatGeek's got you covered. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek prices can pair for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. It's easy. Settings, add a promo code. Now the important part, enter the promo code LOFANTASY. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the code plastered along the bottom of the screen. SeatGeek then sends you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code LOFANTASY today. Straightforward. Let's get back into the player news that we've had over the over the last 24 hours. Derek Rose, some uh, good, weird, bad news coming out, I guess, against him. He's been cleared of all charges in the civil case against him, so... Um, he's going to be back and he's going to be ready for opening night. He's not going to play in any more preseason games, so he's ready for opening night. So any value that Brandon Jennings might have had as a late-round handcuff is definitely evaporated. Yes, I know that Derek Rose is going to get injured, but I don't want to hold on to an Achilles recovering Brandon Jennings who's going to play 21 minutes a night in hope that Derek Rose gets injured at some point in a 12-team league. If I'm talking 14s or 16s, Jennings is going to have value in his own right, and then he's going to bump up in value. In a 12-team league, he's going to be providing below-average numbers until Rose gets hurts. Uh, hurt? Hurts? That's not a word. Well, it is a word, but it doesn't fit in this scenario. Until Rose gets hurt, and then Jennings starts to work out. So, you know, I, I, I'm not loving grabbing Jennings with that last pick now that we know that Derek Rose is going to be available for, for opening night. And when I say bad news... There's photos coming out of him after the, the trial of him smiling with the jurors and taking photos, and they're all coming up to him, autographs, and, oh, can you, I'll take a photo with you, Derek? I didn't, didn't think that's how the legal system works. It feels like that he got, look, he probably didn't, and maybe he's innocent, and prob- look, he's been found innocent. But the implication when the jurors are all giddy and tripping all over themselves, can I have a photo with you, Derek, makes you think that perhaps the trial wasn't fair, and I'm... It, it could easily be fair. It could be a very fair trial. But the image, the the perception, the the optics of it looks horrible. It's a real shit. And, and Derek Rose, I feel like whatever decision he makes, he just needs to do a Costanza from Seinfeld. And every thought that he has 
Just do the opposite. Whatever you want to say, Derek, say the opposite. Whatever you want to do, do the opposite. Because almost invariably, every decision he makes is wrong. Off the court. On the court, he's generally pretty good. Off off the court, every decision that Rose makes seems to be wrong. Do the opposite. You can't, you can't go worse than what you do. If someone, if some jurors run up to you screaming, can I take a photo? You know what you say? Nah, man. Nah, bro. I'm good. Nah, sorry. No photos. You might seem like an asshole, but now you seem like you're influencing court court results. It's not a good look. Derek Costanza. That's what you need to do. The next bit of news. Patrick Beverly. Now, this is not 100% confirmed, but a news come out to Calvin Watkins on ESPN, a Houston yeah, Rockets reporter, that Patrick Beverly may need knee surgery. Now, he's been dealing with knee soreness and knee irritation, as Mike D'Antoni called it, and that's kept him out of preseason, and it was going to leave him doubtful for opening night as it was. Now that the news comes out that he's going to need surgery, that's obvious. Or no, sorry. The report comes out that he may need surgery, and the Rockets are going to investigate it, and we should have some more info in the next couple of days. At this point, there's a chance he needs surgery. Now, he wasn't the most appealing target anyway. With this news that, you know, and you would think that the likelihood of him needing surgery if this news comes out is pretty high. I'm not drafting him anywhere because, you know, he might miss six weeks. Maybe he misses two months. Maybe he misses three weeks. Who knows? It's not enough to to really make me, Beverly's not good enough of a player for me to really be all that interested in that sort of a, in that sort of investment in him. What it does, it doesn't change hard, and he's already going to do everything. What it does is it moves Eric Gordon up a little bit. He'll start. He's a pretty decent ball handler, Gordon, so you might get four assists out of him while Beverly's not there. He you know, jumps up maybe 10, 20 spots in drafts around that 100 mark. I like Eric Gordon. And KJ McDaniels becomes interesting, and he becomes interesting in the sense that if I'm in a deeper league, 14 teams are up, I'll take a flyer on him. It appears like D'Antoni likes him. You know, Pablo Prigioni's no no good. Tyler Eulis isn't good. Um, one of those guys will have to play some minutes just to relieve some of the ball handling duty. McDaniels is going to move into that three-guard rotation. He seems to be ahead of Corey Brewer so far on the depth chart. Look, he's had decent moments in preseason, but they haven't been awesome. Um, but he's worth taking a late pick on in a draft. I don't think it pans out. I still am not 100% a believer in KJ McDaniels. And as I said, some of his numbers have been okay in preseason, but some of them haven't. So... He's not, he's not 100% infallible. Like this is an absolute guarantee. We've got to make sure we get KJ McDaniels in because he's going to put up top 100 value while Patrick Beverly's out. I don't think that's the case, but there's a slim chance that it happens. So he is worth looking at if you've got some waiver wire, you know, some crap at the end of your bench and you want to add him in a 12 team league. I don't think it's the worst decision. I also don't think that it's a, a huge lock to really come to fruition or anything like that. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge before KJ McDaniels becomes a must add player. He is going to be playing that backup role. It's going to be him and probably Eulis, who play, uh, not Eulis. What am I saying Eulis for? Ennis. That's the, the other Tyler. Tyler Ennis. I apologize for any previous mentions of Tyler. Tyler Eulis. You're probably thinking this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, he's saying the wrong player. And maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's correct it now. Tyler Ennis, not Eulis. Sorry. Small point guards getting confused. It's going to be him and KJ McDaniels playing the uh, playing the bench role for for Houston in the guard situation. What McDaniels can thrive at is getting blocks, especially um, getting steals to a to a lesser degree. But um, yeah, that's where he hit. Now in the preseason, he's played 19 minutes a game. He's at six and a half points, half a three, four rebounds, a block, and 0.3 steals, shooting 44 and 80 percent and 33 percent from three. They're not all that appealing numbers. We look at per 36s. We're talking 13 points, a three, eight rebounds, which is good. 
0.6 steals, two blocks, which are good numbers, and, and they'd be useful. He's not getting 36, so that's a thing. He would need, you know, in those 18 minutes, which is potentially what he gets now, he might get 20, he might get 21. In those 18 minutes, 6-4 and a block, is it enough to own? Probably not. But the block is nice. So that's where you look, do I really, do I need this block? Do I need a block a game out of someone? My, you know, and I fit him in as a guard. That's where you look at KJ McDaniels. I think I'm talking too much here about KJ McDaniels, but there we go. Let's move on to Steve Adams, who has had a um, whew, an enormous start to preseason. Now, the first game that he played, he was huge, and I sort of I didn't dismiss it, but I said, you know what? Let's just look at it because the guys he's playing against, there's no Carl Anthony Towns, there's no Gorgie Jing. The Timberwolves rested all their starters. We backed it up in the second game. So over two games, he's averaging 18 and a half and 10 in 24 minutes, two blocks, one and a half steals, shooting 59 and 83. Now he'd been a previously poor free throw shooter, but he's on six attempts, he's hit five of them. That's pretty good going. He was always a chance for a breakout, but he'd never really shown it. Even in that breakout playoff series that he had. His numbers weren't fantastic. He's never been a great shot blocker. So I'm a little bit hesitant to think that this is going to be completely real. But you absolutely have to grab him in the top 100. He's a guy that you probably are going to have to go inside the top 84, I would say now, with these sort of numbers that he's putting up. 18 and a half and 10 in 24 minutes is tremendous. And across the preseason, he's the second ranked player. That's how good those numbers are. One and a half steals, two blocks. But I worry about the blocks maintaining. I worry about the free throw percentage maintaining. But I'm pretty confident with the rebounds. I'm not confident that he's going to be scoring 18, 19 points a game or even more than that because he's going to play more than 24 minutes. I don't think that he's going to be there. He's taking 13 and a half shots a game in these two games. I don't think he gets that many offensive touches. But he is going to be massive and he has got a real, real shot at it being a top 50 player this year. So he is a really nice guy. In Roto, you do have to be a little bit worried about the free throw percentage, but maybe he's like these big men, Rudy Gobert, Yusuf Nurkic, who have really improved their free throw percentage across preseason. Maybe this is the trend for him and, and it's going up as well. So I do like him. If you if you grab him in the 60s or 70s, I definitely can't say that you're wrong. The last bit of news that we're going to get to is Marvin Williams, who suffered a non-displaced fracture of his non-shooting hand. That's different to the fracture that Gordon Hayward had. His was an open fracture. I think that the bone came through the skin, so it's obviously more severe. Williams' situation, he could be ready for opening night, so it's not going to be a long-term thing. So it changes his draft stock, not at all. And his draft stock wasn't high. He was a guy that was maybe going, and I got him at like pick 110 in the mock draft yesterday, I think, somewhere around that mark. He had a, a tremendous year last year. I don't think he really can back up a lot of those numbers. Michael K. Gilchrist eats into his time a little bit. The emergence of Frank Kaminsky eats into his time a little bit as well. So you know, he wasn't an appealing target, but this injury doesn't really change much of my outlook for Marv Williams. Now, if he misses the first night, then I think you look at a guy maybe like Frank Kaminsky in a DFS setting. He might be worth a stream in a standard league. Kid Gilchrist gets a few extra minutes, and if Kid Gilchrist has to play a little bit more at the four, maybe we see Jeremy Lamb get a couple of extra minutes, but overall, the impact is is pretty minimal. So the big winner, I think, would be Frank Kaminsky, but if Marv is only missing a game, and maybe not even that, it really doesn't have much uh, much impact whatsoever. All right, so let's get into the uh, into the the draft day tips. I think that's it. That's what we're calling them, the draft day tips. And the first draft day tip that I think is important, and this is important for everything, know your settings. 
what's your league now I'll, and this this goes for a number this goes for heading into your draft but this also goes for sending me any questions and I apologize if a I've missed any questions you've sent to me whether that's by YouTube comments whether that's by Facebook posts whether that's by Twitter um, DMs or or you know, just normal tweets whether that's by email I apologize if I've missed any questions the volume of questions that I'm waking up and there's like a hundred notifications on my phone so a lot of stuff is coming through. I will attempt to get to as many of these questions as I can and send to you or that you send to me, but sometimes they slip through the cracks. So I do apologize. I am getting smashed with questions at the moment. But back to back to what my original point is, know your settings. When you tell me a question, tell me your settings. How many teams? If it's not a standard 13-man roster, you no point in me telling me, oh, we've got 10 teams, but you, then you have 20 guys on, on a roster. I need to know when it's different. 12 teams, 10 teams. If it's different to standard, tell me. 9-cat, 8-cat, head-to-head, roto. Also, if you tell me, oh, my league's an 11-cat league, what does it mean? What are the other cats? I play in a 13-cat league. Who's better here? I don't know. What are your other cats? Are they fouls? Are they technicals? Are they ejections? Are they field goals made? Are they free throws made? Are they free throws attempted? Are they three-point percentage? Are they two-point percentage? Are they offensive rebounds? Are they assist-to-turnover ratio? Are they steal-to-turnover ratio? Are they adjusted field goal percentage? Are they whatever? If your league differs from standard, tell me. What are the extra cats? How much extra is your roster? Do you have five starters, 10 bench guys? Tell me how it differs. Is it dynasty? Is it redraft? Is it roto? Is it head-to-head? Is it points? And if it's points, my answer is going to be, how would I know? Because I don't know what your scoring system is. So that's, you know, I'm not, not trying to hang shit on, on people, but I need to know these these details. Because if you say, who's better in points? My answer to you D on, by default is going to be, I don't know your scoring system. Your Your system might give five points per block, and one point per rebound. And that changes things. It might give one point per block and one point per assist. Changes things. It might give one point per point, one point per field goal made, one point per free throw made. And that changes things. I need to know your point scoring system. Tell me all these things. One other thing about Twitter questions. Again, this is not draft prep stuff. If you tweet me a question and you got an egg, you're getting a tweet back saying, change your egg. Oh, I don't want eggs. Just Put anything up there. I don't care what you put. Put up, put up a chocolate starfish for all I care. Just don't have an egg as a profile picture. Just change it. It doesn't have to be your head. I know that you love to hide in, or some people love to hide in anonymity on the internet. Just don't do an egg. An egg has such a negative connotation on Twitter. Just put anything up there. Because if you, if you tweet me a question with an egg, the first thing I'm going to say back is change your egg. And I'm not trying to be rude. I just, I want to eliminate eggs from the Red Rock locked on fantasy community. Anyway. Know your settings. What does it mean? Well, if you've got to tell me this information, you have to know the information. What What is your league? Is it head-to-head? Is it roto? Is it points? That might sound simple to you, but I see posts everywhere. Oh, I think I'm in a head-to-head league, and then it turns out that they're in a points league, which is head-to-head, but it's points. It's a different, I guess it's a different just way of saying, when I say head-to-head, I mean categories. Know your league settings. If it's a points league, know where the points are are concentrated. 
Yeah, the points category is obviously the biggest. Rebounds is the next biggest volume. Assists, steals, blocks. It goes in that order. If they're all worth one, then people who are steals and blocks specialists, they're worth shit because they might get a, a steal a game. It's worth one point. Whereas some you know, shit kicker off the bench can grab eight rebounds and he's eight times more valuable. Know your settings. I think CBS default points leagues had everything as one, but assists as two. So point guards were through the roof. Chris Paul was getting monster amounts of points. I think Fantrax's default setting is steals and blocks are five, assists are two, and rebounds are one and a half. So it changes things. Know your settings. Know your draft. Do you know your draft spot? If so, great. If not, work out what you're going to do depending on where you're going to go. We'll get to that in a second. Know your settings. Head-to-head. Each category counts as a win. So can you win 5-4 each week? Can you win 6-3? Or is it just... You win the most categories you win because that determines to me what you want to do. You go even more aggressive on a punt, and I'll talk about punting later, if it's um, you know, most categories wins because a 5-4 win is the same as an 8-1 win, except you've got less room for error, obviously. But if you build it correctly, you'll almost be unbeatable in that setting. And there's plenty of people I've seen in those most, most categories win that go through a season undefeated by winning 5-4 every week. That's a way to do it. So that changes things as well. Know your settings. What's your auction budget? Normally it's 200. It might be $100. Who, how many people are in your draft? Is it 16 teams? Are the rosters different? Have you got an IR spot? It's really important. If, if you don't have an IR spot, forget about Drew Holiday. Forget about Gordon Haywood. Forget about Reggie Jackson. Forget about Tyreek Evans. Forget about these guys if you don't have an IR spot. Do you have two IR spots? Is it weekly changes? If it's weekly changes then and you don't have an IR spot, that's fine. You can stash an injured guy on your bench. Does your rotisserie league have games limits? Meaning that each active spot generally means you can play 82 games in that spot per per uh, per position. So you've, your bench, in, in essence, doesn't need to get used. Do you have a weekly games limit in a head-to-head league? How big is it? If it's less than three games per active slot, then you're not going to be using your bench that often, and that turns into a stash zone. So normally, on average, say you've got you know, 10 active spots. If these guys are playing, if the limit is 30 spots, 30 games played for a week, then you won't. There'll be lots of times when you have to sit your bench guys. If it's 38 or 40 for the week, then you'll basically be just throttling guys in in your bench without without streaming. You'll just be moving your guys in and out. Less than three and a half per active slot in a weekly games limit situation means that your bench is not going to be fully utilized. Understand this. More stashability, more handcuffability, more flyers. Now, I've said about Brandon Ingram, for example, that I don't think he's going to be a top 200 player in November and December. And that means you can't draft him. But in if your league, say, has weekly games limits of 28... Your bench is not going to get used. You can just sit him there and he can be that guy that just sits out every week and doesn't play. If it's daily changes and you've got 40 active spots, then you're screwed. You can't hold on to him. If it's a roto league and you've got 82 games per position, you can sit him on your bench and you can wait for this to come. These are all different strategies. This is what I mean by know your settings. I hope all that's useful. Plan ahead. Uh, Plan ahead. Snake draft. Where are you picking? Do you know where you're picking? Okay, let's get into a situation where you don't know where you're picking. Plan for every every pick. If I'm at pick, you don't even have to do every pick. You can do, if I'm at pick one to three, 
these are my three guys. If I'm at pick four or five, these are my, break it up. If I'm at six to eight, these are the guys in what order. If I'm at these picks, what do I want in this order? And then from each pick after that, it's a lot of work. And I guess it depends on how interested you are. But you're listening to a dickhead sitting here in Australia talking about fantasy basketball. So I'm going to assume you're pretty interested in fantasy basketball. Plan it out. If I get Harden, what, who do I want in the second round? Not necessarily specific players. Here are four guys that I might want. These are guys that really fit what I want to do with this team. If I get pick five and Towns and Davis are both there, who am I taking? And then what does that do for the rest of my team? How do I plan it out? Go through, use the draft tracker, run mock drafts with this position, run mocks on the draft tracker, just picking guys. How? Okay, I could potentially get this guy, I could potentially get this guy. Do all different scenarios. Auction. Have a look at the valuations. Work out your punch strategy in advance and work out how you're going to target guys. Who looks like they're going to have good value? Because you know, ADP numbers might not mean much in drafts. Auction numbers, default auction numbers mean more. People look at it and they'll say, Steph Curry's you know, going you know, $55, going once, going twice. And someone will see Curry projected value $70 and go, what are you? I'm not letting him go for 55 bid. And then the bidding kicks off again. Even though in your head, in your valuation, Curry is sitting there and you go, you know what, I value him at $57. If there's a $70 up there, one of the 11 other people in your league is going to go, this shit's not going down on my watch. He's going back up to 70. And almost without fail, a lot of these guys are going to go within 2 to $3 of their value. Even if they go under, they might he might come at 67 Guys that go over, they could go $10, $15 over. But very rare do guys go $10, $15 under at the beginning of a draft. In the middle to end of the draft, when everyone's blown their wad on, on these guys earlier, bargains come out of your ass. They're all over the place. So you don't have to worry about that in that sense. But plan your auction. And my, my point with all this about planning your auction is go back and look at it. Say, okay, I've got this guy valued at $40. His ESPN price is $12. I've got a lot of money to work with there, haven't I? And let's see how I... Let's, you know, I, I can fit him into my team. I fit this guy in and I'll use... You say that his projected value is $12 on ESPN. Let's say I price him at 15 That still gives me $25 of value, but it's it's pricing it in that he goes for over that. And he might actually go for $8. Then what I like to do is, okay, I've worked out my budget. I like to budget for, say, $190 to give myself $10 of leeway. But say the first guy I've got is Devin Booker. And I've got him valued at $20. ESPN's got him valued at $7. I'm making this number up. I don't have it in front of me. ESPN's got him at $7, right? And he's part of my $190 budget process. If he goes in there and then for me to get him, I've got him say at 20 and he gets to seven and someone bids and I get him for nine. What I then do on the side is I write, okay, I write a plus two or a minus two, whatever you want to do. I've got a plus two. means I'm $2 over my budget. I've given myself a $10 budget leeway. I've eaten into that by $2. If the next guy comes up and it's um, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, Porzingis, and you know, his value on ESPN is $24, and I've got him priced at 48 but he come he doesn't come off the board straight away and you get him for $20, well, that plus two then becomes a minus two because now I'm now I'm $2 under budget. See what I make sense? See how that makes sense? And then there might be a guy, you know, I really want this guy, and maybe he I've got him valued at $30, and he's sitting at 30 and his price is at 30 on ESPN, whatever, but I'm four bucks under budget. I can go a little bit higher because I want to get this guy because I know I've saved myself $4 there and I've got the $10 in my pocket as well. That's the way I approach an auction. I generally have 
say 20 guys I want to look at. If one guy goes, I'll have, and I'll, I'll generally have a backup. Well, maybe I'll have more. Maybe I have 30 guys. I'll have a backup behind each guy. If I don't get this guy, here's an, an alternate plan B. And I'll have probably three or four team builds put out. Here's one option, ideal. Here's another one I can pivot to. Here's another way. And it, you do it all on the fly as well. That's why, uh, that's why doing, uh, this plan and using the draft tracker is so key. So planning ahead is really, um, it's really important, especially in a, in an auction setting. Your early picks, you got to hit them. All right, you generally can't win your league with a with a first round pick or a first three rounds pick. You can lose it, and that's where risk comes in. Um, people always say to me, and this is I can understand what they're saying. They say, oh, "I'm going into the draft and I'm punting free throws." And if I look at Draft Tracker and your projections of Basketball Monster, and I punt free throws, DeAndre Jordan comes in at pick six. I want to pick him at pick six. No, 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 no. In theory, it makes sense, but you're cutting off so much of his value there at that spot. So what I want to do in my early rounds is get the most value that I can in those spots. You grab you know, my top 12 or whatever in order, grab them, and then you adjust based based on that, adjust your strategy based on that. I, I don't want to be taking a, a risk, a huge risk on it. Now, to me, Carl Anthony Towns is a minimal risk, but there's still some risk for me. Chris Paul... At pick nine, it's not a risk. Demarcus Cousins at pick ten is not a risk. Carl Anthony Towns at pick three is a risk because he's never been a top three player before. He's never been a top ten player before. And we are all expecting him to do it. And I love Carl Anthony Towns, but there's a little bit of risk there. So that I don't think I've drafted Carl Anthony Towns aside from a dynasty league in this in this draft because he generally I don't think I've had a pick at around pick five anyway, but he generally goes just a little bit higher because I'm a little bit risk averse with my first couple of picks. I like to get, and again, I don't really care too much about upside with these first first couple of picks. I don't necessarily look at a guy like Porzingis and grab him at 25 and think, you know what, he's got upside to be a top 10 guy. If he does, that's great. But I'm really confident that he sits at that 25 value. Nikola Jokic, he's got upside to be a top 12 guy. Do I have confidence that he retains the value of a, a number 25 guy? Not all that much. I've drafted him at around pick 40. And I think worst case scenario, he comes out at 40 and he's got significant upside there as well. But it's not me picking him at 25 saying upside is 12, but if he doesn't fall, if he doesn't do it, he falls down to 40. That's not the way I like to approach these first round picks. I want solid picks. I want guys that I feel really confident and anything can happen. These guys could trip in the shower, put their arm through a glass window and sever their, their veins and, and bleed out. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But anything can happen. So you can't plan for that sort of stuff. You can't plan for stupidity or luck or, you know, Paul Millsap crashing a car and the guy's motorbike catching on flames and Millsap, whatever's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen to him. But, you know, this could have happened to him. He could be on the receiving end. You can't plan for that stuff. But you want situations where when you look at a guy's situation and his projection and projected production, when you look at it and go, how can it go wrong? I don't think it can. Therefore, you know, I'm pretty happy. So that's that's what I like with the uh, with the early round picks. Late round picks, it's a bit of a different story. You want guys in the seven and early round picks. I generally mean up to about fifty, 
late round picks, we're talking about the guys. You know, there's different areas of late round. There's 100 to 150, and there's 50 to 100. 50 to 100, I want pretty consistent production, but I'd like these some of these guys, at least say two of the five or six guys I grab in that range, I'd like at least two of them to have upside to become a top 50 player. Because that's how you win your league. You don't win your league by grabbing a guy who, who at no, pick 20, who becomes the 15th best player. That doesn't win you the league. You win the league by getting a guy, or, or by drafting just fantastically, or by getting a guy at 80 who becomes 40th. So you want a couple of these guys with room to grow. Yeah, it, it, you still want some solidarity. You don't want guys to completely fall off the map. But when you grab Aaron Gordon at 70, you think, okay, maybe he falls to 90. There's not a big di- difference there. But could he go up to top 40? Yeah, he could because he could have a monster campaign. D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Schroeder, same things. You might grab these guys at 50 or 60, maybe earlier, but they could become top 20 guys. They've got that potential to jump up and and really sort of take hold. Evan Fournier. Now, Toby Harris is the opposite. You grab him at 60, you feel confident he's going to give you value of a pick 60. So I want to mix these guys in, in in that range. 100 to 150, I want upside. I want flyers. I don't want Luol Deng at that spot because Luol Deng, I know, is going to give me value around 120. I also know he's probably not going to give me any better than that. Courtney Lee, he'll be the 140th player this season. But will he ever get to 130? Probably not. And there's no point in that. Yeah, At some point during the season, three, four weeks in, you go, you know what? None of these dicks are working out for me. Courtney, I'm craving your 140 value production. Just come on the team and just give me that. But when you're drafting, let's grab a flyer type guy who could go from 150th to 100th, 140th to 70th. Who's got the upside? Who's got the opportunity there? Because as I say plenty of times, your bottom four or five guys on your roster, they're not going to be there come the end of the season. Some teams who are aggressive traders who love to trade just for the sake of trading, you know who you are. You'll have three guys left on your roster by the end of the season. But in general, a standard average fantasy guy, when you're waiver wiring guys in a standard league, when you get deeper, you're not as aggressive because there's not as much talent around. In a standard league situation, four of your guys at least will be different and they'll probably be different by the end of the first month. So those last three picks you made, don't hold on to them and go, now nah, I got Luol Deng at 120. That's great because he's going to be the 120th player this season. So, there's no chance of him being better. Maybe there's a chance. It's a minimal chance. Courtney Lee, there's no chance of him being better. Derek Rose, there's a chance of him being better at that spot. And, and it comes down to a few other factors as well about, I just, you know, I'm dying for assists. I don't think Darren Williams can ever get back to being a top 50 guy, but man, I need 17 points and six assists here. So I'll grab him at 110. That's a different story. I, I really need this, and he's, he's set to give me that production. But he could also be a little bit better. But especially with my last pick, I want to get someone who, who can give me upside. That's the way that I want to look at these picks and say, well, this guy can actually do more for me. The next part we're going to look at, and this is a, a concept that I use all the time and a lot of people don't, you want to draft the best team. You want to build the best team. You don't want to draft the best player. Now, a lot of times, that is the same thing. It's, it's no difference whatsoever. Drafting the best player is the best for your team. But a lot of the times, it's not. You're at pick 90. Your free throw percentage looks good. You've punted blocks. Clint Capella's there. Pick 90? Who are these other guys behind him? They're no good. Tim Mo- Maybe Capella's not a good example. 
maybe let's just use him for the sake because yeah, there's a little bit of query about what he's doing with his starting role at the moment. Well, let's use him at pick 90. Your free throw percentage is sitting at 80%, 78%. Your blocks are terrible. Your field goal percentage is terrible. He's the best player sitting there. Don't grab him. Build the best team. I also don't want to grab a guy and you know, take him. I'll, I'll just trade him later. I'll talk about that in a little bit. In a little bit. You want to grab the best team. And this is, again, why Draft Tracker is so important. Look at where your categories stack, stack up. Where is the green? Where is the red? If your blocks are bright red, what's the point of adding Capella? You go from being the worst in blocks to being the third worst? Uh, that doesn't impact, that doesn't do anything good for you at all in a head-to-head situation. In Roto, you should never be letting anything get to bright red in the first place. So that's a different story, but then he drops your free throw percentage right down. So you balance that up. But build the best team. Don't grab the best player. And a lot of people will say, oh, I grab you know, BPA, best player available for the first six rounds. I couldn't disagree with that more. I grab best player available for round one. And after that, every single pick needs to reflect what I've done previously. There's no point to me in just grabbing the best player available because the differences between these guys outside the top 10 and to probably a greater extent outside the top 20, the difference between 20 and 40 is minuscule. It's probably the same difference as there is between one and four. The difference between 40 and 80 is the difference between one and four. So there's no clear-cut best player. His value might come out on our system as 0.11, and the guy behind him might be 0.10. Oh, but he's better. It's 0.11, 0.10. Come on, man. Can't you count? Don't you know maths? Yeah, I do know maths. But it means shit if his value comes from categories that you have no... Or that you... you, it It means nothing if his value comes from categories in that you're considerably weak in, and it's not going to make a difference... Or conversely, if you're already smashing that category, if your Z score for rebounds is at eight and that guy's value comes from having high rebounds and their rebounds are at two and you go from an eight to a 10 in that category, you're already unbeatable. There is no point in in grabbing him because, no, but look, he was 0.11. There's no point because you're not going to lose when you've got a Z score of eight. So moving from eight, you can't get a double win in a category. You can't get 400 rebounds for the week and my opponent gets 200. I doubled him. I get two points. It doesn't work that way. Build the best team. Don't grab the best player. A lot of the time, it's the same thing. A lot of the time, it's not. So there's there's lots of ways to look at it, but that's, that's how I like to look at it. Scarcity. You have to draft using scarcity. I said the draft tracker looks at all this stuff. Points are off the board early. And you'll hear a lot of people say, and it'll be written on websites that are seemingly reputable, points is the easiest thing to find the waiver wire. You couldn't be more incorrect. Yeah, everyone scores points, but they score them at a below average level. Unless your league has got unlimited streaming and you're just, you know, I'm adding three new guys in a day and that's going to give me 30 points extra a day. Your league's shit for a start. Points are not the easiest thing to find. If you're deficient in points after the first four rounds, you're not coming back. There's no one who's a big score. There's a couple. It's not true. There's a couple of guys: Devin Booker, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Danilo Gallinari, Demar Derozan. They're guys outside the top 30 who can influence your scoring. But when you talk about guys who are scorers later on, what's Lou Williams? Oh, he's a scorer. What's Jamal Crawford? He's a scorer. Yeah, they average 13 points. That's not. It's nothing. It's below average. 
your fantasy team will want, will want to average at least 15 points across your 13 players to be competitive in that category. If you're at 16, you're probably going to win that. If you're at 17, you'll definitely win that category. But yeah, I'm going to add Jamal Crawford and get his 13 points. It's actually dropping your average down, most likely. Well, it's not helping you. It's not bumping your average up, is it? Because if you're already sitting at 13 points as an average, adding Jamal's 13 in, you're still going to be last. Scarcity is important. Points, assists, blocks. But points and assists majorly and influencing free throw percentage is is big early on as well. So you'll see me often get guys like Brook Lopez um, because of his efficiency and his scoring. I'll get Carmelo Anthony. Not because I love Melo, but because he gets 25 points a game. And there might be someone else there who, who'll score 14 and get me a steal and a block and get me five or seven rebounds or whatever and nice percentage, and that's great. But I'm also never getting those points back. So I have a very set pattern when I draft. I, unless I'm punting points, which is a very viable strategy and one of the best strategies there is, unless I'm doing that, if you don't get points in the first five rounds, you're just not going to be competitive enough in that category. The same goes for assists. You almost need four point guards to really lock down that category. And you need to get, yeah, yeah, Jeremy Lin was a great late, late round target, but he's jumping right up. You need to grab yourself, or not even point guards, you know, Giannis, Draymond, LeBron, Blake Griffin with a five and a half. Yeah, he gives you more assists than Kemba Walker. So it's not necessarily just point guards. Nick Batum, um, these other guys from other, Jim Butler, Dwayne Wade to a lesser degree. Assists dry up quickly. Rebounds, pff, you can get them anywhere. Three-pointers, you can get them anywhere. They can come late in the drop, but they can also hurt you in other areas. Rebounds can hurt your free throws. Three-pointers can hurt your field goal percentage and your assists and your block numbers and all that sort of stuff. But you can get those later. You just literally can't find points later. You can't find assists later. Um, to a, You can find blocks to a degree. You might be able to add in a John Henson or even a Marquis Chris or something like that, but where are they going to hurt you in other areas? Look at scarcity. It is why I draft points generally pretty early and assist pretty early unless I'm punting those categories. And I really like to make sure I've got percentage buffers. I want to be green in those percentage categories early because coming back from a negative, is you can come back maybe to average, but you can't come back to a position of strength. And that's a big difference. Reaching. What do I mean by reaching? Well, you hear that term you know, thrown around a lot. And I, I will sometimes make make fun of, of people or hang shit on people for, for saying, I've got to reach for this guy. Where do I reach for this guy? Um, and a few weeks ago, I had someone saying, oh, I've, I've got to reach for D'Angelo Russell. I'm reaching for him into the top 30. That doesn't make sense to me. But reaching in general, I've talked about how these value between these rounds is so similar that in between 20 and 40, there's not much difference. If you're picking on the turn, especially, there's no such thing really as a reach. I need someone who is a 20-point scorer who is going to not hurt my field goal percentage. I don't care if he's ranked 40th on, you know, JoeBlowNosFantasy.com. I don't care if he's ranked 40th there. And I haven't, I haven't gone into a rant on it, but rankings are bullshit. They're absolute bullshit. Bullshit. If you're on Basketball Monster and you go to that link that says player rankings, that is not rankings. That is ranking past performance. That is ranking what these guys did last season. It is not ranking for this season. Rankings are bullshit. If there's one thing you take away, that is it. Rankings are bullshit. Reaching for a guy. I need a 20-point scorer who's going to help me with my field goal percentage. Oh, but he's ranked 40th and I'm picking at 27th. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. 
Yeah, look, taking DeAndre Jordan fifth is a reach, and it, it, it's it's dumb. The first round is gen. It's pretty con- you know, pretty straightforward of where you grab guys. You can make you know, between even between six and twelve or thirteen. These guys are, are almost the same, so it doesn't really matter. But I wouldn't take Paul George at four. That's a reach that makes no sense. But in the other rounds, it's not about getting the guy you want. It's about getting the statistics that you want. So someone will say, I have to get D'Angelo Russell. I have to reach for him. Do you? Or could you potentially wait and get similar assists and scoring numbers from Dennis Schroeder 30 spots later? If there's no other options to get me, I want good scoring with threes and assists, Russell's going to go at 50, I'm at 35, but there's no one else who, who can give me that sort of range of stuff, and that's not a reach. But reaching just to get a guy, who, or just to get a name, I must get this guy on my team. There is never a situation where you should head into a draft saying, I must get this guy on my team. There's never that situation. As a draft unfolds, though, it, there might be, I need to get Andrew Wiggins. I need 20 plus points. I need 47% field goal. I need 78% free throw on decent attempts. I must get Andrew Wiggins. He's ranked 45th. I'm at I'm at 30. I need what he does here. I need these numbers based on what I've done previously. Bang, get him. Not a reach. Players falling. I already talked about this a little bit in the Clint Capella example before. Players will slide down a draft board. For whatever reason, Rudy Gay, because of uncertainty about his future and trade situation, injured players, players players fall. Now, I've talked about the injured situation earlier on about drafting guys like Reggie Jackson and Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans and what to do with IR spots and daily changes and weekly changes and all that stuff. I've said that plenty of times. You understand where I'm coming from there. What I'm talking about, if a player starts falling and Rudy Gay has got an ADP of 50 and it's pick 90 and he's still there, does... And Rudy Gay is probably a bad example because he provides nice numbers across the board. Let's not use him. Let's use Nick Vucevic as an example. You know, his ADP is 45 and it's pick 90. Not even pick 90. It's pick 70 and he's still there. You can grab him. But if you grab someone that's falling with the express purpose of, oh, I'll just trade him later. That's all right. He doesn't fit what I do. He, you know, My team is punting field goal percentage and rebounds. I've already got an end and points. Say say that's what you're doing. Whatever that whatever you're doing. Say that's what you're doing. And Vucevic's strengths are points, rebounds, and field goal percentage. And you're not competitive in them. And adding him doesn't make you competitive. And you're a pick seventy-five, and you go, okay, I'm just going to grab him because I'll, I'll just trade him. Who are you trading him to? The other eleven people that let him slip thirty spots. Think about that for a second. Everyone's had three cracks that to draft him. But you think that you're going to draft him and then and then turn around and go, that's all right, I'll just trade him. One of these guys will give me way more value. They had three goes of getting him and they didn't. They didn't want him. Now, maybe he blows up and puts together numbers and, and that works out for you. But to pick someone with the express idea, oh, they don't help me, they don't give me... And the difference to this is as a last pick, fine. A second last pick, fine. Mid-rounds, not fine. The idea of grabbing someone saying, nah, so I'll just trade him later when every other team had this opportunity multiple times and they said, nah, nah, man, I'm good, I'll pass. You've just robbed yourself of an opportunity to grab someone that actually fits what you want to do, that fits your team. And how do you know that when you trade Vucevic that you would get even equivalent value back? 
maybe you pick him at 75 and he he stinks and he plays 20 minutes a night. I don't think that'll happen, but maybe it does. What trade value are you getting? You're relying upon too many factors. To You're relying upon someone saying, oh, you know what? I made the mistake three times. I should have drafted him three times. Yeah, you're right, Josh. Um, no, he is worth a top 40 pick. Here's my, here's my top 40 pick back in exchange for him. That's never going to happen. And then what if he doesn't live up to value or no one wants what he gives and you get back a player ranked 100 because it's the best you can do. And Vucevic is literally you know, in under your punt settings. He's ranked 150th. And you get a guy back worth 100 when you could have had a guy ranked 40th under your punt settings and got him at 70th. It's a huge loss. That's why yeah, players fall and they fall for a reason. Trading them back to your opponents, they've already passed on him so many times. Let's talk punting. In rotisserie leagues, it is very hard to execute a winning punt in a standard league. So I mean 10 or 12 team leagues with 13-man rosters and 8 or 9 categories. The ability of punting to work in rotisserie increases with either the amount of categories. So you play in an 11-category league. You play in a 13-category league. Really hard to be good in 13 categories, isn't it? So you might have to punt one of them. You might have to punt two, but probably not. But you might have to punt one. To just to make it a bit easier for you. You play in a 20-man league. You might have to punt one of them, and that enables you to be 18th or above in the other categories and a three in somewhere else. It's really tough in a standard situation. Now, I, I see a lot of people saying, um, but if I grab DeAndre Jordan, yes, my free... I say, I grab Andre Drummond. Um, he's the second-worst free-throw impact guy. I grab Andre Drummond and I'll surround him with James Harden. I'll, I'll draft James Harden. doesn't work. It puts you in the middle of the pack, which is fine. You get a six, but it's still not great. The other thing I, I see people say is, I'll grab DeAndre Drummond, but someone else will grab... I'll grab Drummond. Someone else will grab Jordan. Someone else will grab Howard. Someone else will grab Capella. So maybe if I put a good free throw guy around him, I, I finish fourth in that category. Yeah, okay. But what if the person who drafted Jordan then drafted Howard and Capella? Then you're a two. They're a, they're a clear one in that category. They've committed. They've gone. I don't I don't need no free throw percentage. I'm I'm last. If one team has got Drummond, if one team has got Jordan, if one team has got Howard, then grabbing Capella as the last guy of that of that group, you can say, okay, well, I'm probably going to finish with a four, at worst, behind these other three guys. But if you grab Drummond or Jordan. You don't know where these other players are going. The same guy might grab all of those guys and then your plan to be the, you know, I've got other good free throw shooters, I'll, I'll be a four you know, at worst. Put you as a two. Be careful. I said, as the league gets deeper, as the league gets more competitive as well, and as the categories increase, it becomes a little bit easier. In head-to-head leagues, you'll hear arguments from people, you know, Matt Smith's big on not punting. He also has a different definition of punting to, to me as well, when my definition of punting is just disregarding a category, not actively getting worse in it. Um, and he'll often disregard categories, especially he does that with turnovers, which I consider punting, he doesn't. Whatever, it's a nomenclature problem. In a head-to-head league, I believe that really to give yourself the best chance of winning, you need to punt. At least one category, I will often do two or three. Four is pretty hardcore, but you can, especially in a most categories win situation, you can really you know, put some big numbers up and you can be really tough to beat in that sort of a scenario. So you know, that can be, be done. 
my standard punt in a nine category is field goal percentage blocks and turnovers. I always punt turnovers. I was told this plenty of times and often I'll come out as the third best team in turnovers. I just don't like using turnovers as an evaluation of someone's fantasy value. I don't like it skewing their rankings. D'Angelo Russell goes from 40th to 90th. Truda goes from 60th to 130th. It doesn't give a fair reflection of their value and their use. And I've said this plenty of times as well. Probably why my voice is cracking because I've just said this too many times. The best player in the turnover category is the guy who doesn't play. That's why it's a shit category, and that's why I don't put any focus on it during draft day. And let me tell you something. If you punt assists, you're going to win turnovers. So the, so even if I punt assists and I've got the punt assist toggle on, I'm still punting turnovers as well because I'm going to win that category. If I'm going to be competitive in assists, if I'm going to be winning assists, I'm losing turnovers anyway. And generally, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, but you can be good at both. You can be mediocre at both. You can be middle of the pack in assists and middle of the pack in turnovers. In head-to-head, I don't want to be middle of the pack. I want to be the top of the pack. I want to be the top three teams in this situation and, in general, smash 80% of the league in that category and, you know, hopefully every team in that category. And therefore, my turnovers are going to be bad. But I'll, you know, punting one category is fine. I think that you do need at least two to really to really you know, hone in on it. And finding those two, it can be a combination that, that works together, field goals and blocks. It can be both percentages, as Kyle likes to do, you know, free, field goal and free throw. You might decide to punt assists and blocks. So you still get a nice mix of bigs and smalls. But you just go, oh, I'm not chasing assists because they're hard to get. I'm not chasing blocks because they're concentrated in a few players. I'm going to get these other categories. I think that two to three is the right area of categories to punt in head-to-head leagues. You can win leagues definitely without punting, but I almost guarantee you, especially when you come to the end of the season and a playoff situation, you will be punting. You will say, here is my opponents in the playoffs, my three other teams that are left. I can't compete with them in blocks. Let me make moves to strengthen my other categories. You're not going to win by just being average in every category. At some point, you have to change what you do and you have to strengthen the strengths. And that's exactly what punting is. Point guards. Um, It's the hardest position to get. And I'll tell you why. Assists are so hard to find. You'll get, I I shit you not, you're going to get 20 point guards off the board in the top 50 picks probably this year. Now, there are point guards that go in the first round, Steph, Russ, Chris Paul, maybe Damian Lillard, although I'm not for that. And then you've got second round, Lillard, Walker, Lowry, Irving. Then you've got Isaiah Thomas in that second to third round range. And then you've got Dragic, Conley, Russell, Schroeder, Lynn, Jackson, Collison. All these guys around those mid-round areas. As I said earlier, you need probably three to four point guardy type players to really be you're really good in that category. So you might see your first five picks and you've got three or four point guards there. If you don't, you're losing the category. And that's fine. That's a way to go against everyone else. So that's why punting assists can work pretty nicely because there's going to be big races on point guards. D'Angelo Russell might have an ADP of 70. He's going at 35. We saw the mock draft I did yesterday. Lynn, Schroeder, Russell, Conley, Dragic, they all went inside the top 50 when all of their ADPs are probably sitting outside the top 50. Point guards are going to fly off the board. So unless you've got yourself a nice early stack of them and you've got one in, say, your first two picks and then you grab two or three more in rounds three, four, and five, it's going to be hard to compete in that area. 
wings, you get late. There's a few elite wings early, but most of the, you know, you can get some decent-ish ones later. You can get point guards later. Emmanuel Moutier, he's got deficiencies. Lord Alfred Payton, Darren Williams, Derek Rose. Um, you can get these guys late, but they fit certain areas of teams, and you know, they're going to hurt your field goal percentage. Payton and Moutier were going to hurt your free throw percentage. Are they going to hit any threes? Probably not. And Rajon Rondo, what's he going to do to your scoring and your percentages? Point guards are really tough to get. They go really quickly. So you need to be aware that there'll be rounds where seriously seven point guards go in a round. And you'll be like, Jesus, I didn't get a point guard. I'm screwed. Think about what you're doing. And when you're valuing players, point guards are going to go early. I can, I can guarantee you. Don't panic. Don't make a panic decision. This is why planning, back to right at the start of this, why planning is important. Make your plan. These are the guys I want in each round, ideally. But if this doesn't happen, who's my backup? Who's my backup backup? Um, If my three backups in round four are gone, take your round five guy. You know, move your plan up a step and then try and slow in. Okay, so I missed out on a point guard there. Let's grab a lower tier one with my next pick. So swip, I still need to get my round five guy, but let's get him in round four and let's grab a point guard who might've been off my board, but he's you know, probably sitting 20 spots lower. Let's grab him with the next pick and get yourself back on track. Don't go, oh, you know, oh, I've got my team. Oh, center, what am I going to do? Uh, Dwight Howard, bang, free throws done. And that was your strength. You didn't. You didn't want blocks. Your blocks are terrible. You didn't want field goal percentage. You were already sitting at, you know, fifty-two percent or whatever. You didn't need that. A panic pick can ruin a lot of things. And then you might be able to trade. But again, in general, if you're desperate to trade, you're not getting a hundred percent value back. If you're like, I need to trade this guy, and you come across that way, and you're sending out all these offers, you're not getting a hundred percent back on that guy. Try not to panic. I know it can be hard. And I like, look, I made a. a, a Look, what I think was a shit decision yesterday in the mock draft, picking Kyrie Irving in the second round. You know, I, did I panic? Maybe. I sort of ran out of time, so I had to pick. Um, but don't panic. That, that is, it's a key, it's a key thing when you look at these, uh, when we look at these leagues and we look at Torah planning for your draft, try not to panic. All right, that's, uh, that's all of the uh, the draft day tips. Now it's time for question time. So I'm going to be answering your questions. All right, let's get into the questions now. Quite a few came in today. The first one came from, came from? My words are struggling, sorry. James Pack. Hi, mate. I'm keen on an update on how you see the magic front court working out with Abaka, Vucevic, and Biombo in terms of fantasy value. Um, Vucevic is obviously dropping from last season. Serge is increasing from last season, but I don't think he goes back to a top 20 guy, but he's a solid guy in that 30 to 50 range, I think. Vucevic is probably someone that you want outside the top 50, maybe outside the top 60. He is going to start at this point, Vucevic, but he's not going to play the same minutes as last year. There is That is almost impossible. I think we've got him pegged at 29, and even that might be looking a little bit high at this point. He's still going to score efficiently. He still gets decent rebounds, and he can block a shot a game. He's a really good passer. Now, whether that turns into assists or not, we don't know. But I think him working with Serge Ibaka might actually help him get his assist numbers up. So Vucevic is a nice guy there. Biombo, he's a specialist. He's a a boards and blocks specialist. He's going to score nothing. He's not going to do enough really in field goal percentage in terms of volume to influence that category. There's no assists. There's no threes. There's minimal um, steals. 
There'll be nice blocks. There'll be nice rebounds. But he's also probably going to play less than 25 minutes a night. So how does that strike you? Now, in most cases, it's probably a not draft situation. But if you just really need some blocks and boards late and you can afford a hit in those other areas and you just need him to put you over, I think you can rely on him to get some pretty nice numbers in terms of you know, those categories. And that that might be enough for you to draft him there. So he's a, to me, he's a late round pick at best. And I think his total upside is capped by the fact that he just doesn't contribute in enough categories. He's a rebounds and he's a blocks guy. That's it. Two category guy. He's low turnovers, but I don't count that. He's a two category guy. And by the way, you're free to disagree with me completely on turnovers. I know that plenty of people do, and I get in probably the most arguments with anyone when I talk about my stance on turnovers. So that's fine. Completely, you can you can yell into your headphones, Josh, you're a dickhead. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Cool. I'm used to that. I hear that all the time. Biombo's a two-category guy. So when you look, what is, what's the average over the preseason? He's played 26 minutes a night. He's averaged six and a half points. I don't even think he plays 26 a night during the regular season. So you might get less, but he's averaging 11 boards. That's useful. He's averaging two blocks. Useful. He's shooting 41 and 42%. Abysmal. He's getting 0.8 steals. Nice. One assist, threes, zero, of course. So he helps you there, but he's a he's a late round pick. That's that's where he sits. James is uh, stacked up on the questions here. Does does Kelly Olynyk missing the entire preseason and looking like missing opening night dampen your enthusiasm as to him catching on alongside Horford? Absolutely it does. He might not actually get into a significant role until January. Now, um, it's a, it's annoying. Now, the Celtics people I've spoken to, I had John Corrales on the podcast when we did the Celtics preview. Yeah, we were both. You know, Olynyk fits. He's the guy. He's their best three-point shooter on the entire team. He fits perfectly next to Horford. They need to play him. But Stevens hasn't shown much confidence in him. And he's coming off a, a shoulder issue. Now, he is their most important big apart from Horford. He's better than Amir Johnson. Um, Johnson provides some defensive stuff, but he's probably no more than a 20-minute-a-night player. It does it dampen my enthusiasm? It absolutely does, because I don't know when he's going to get an opportunity. For now, it's really hard to even draft him in the last round. Um, yeah, 14-team, I might do it just to see what happens in this first couple of weeks. But yes, my enthusiasm is uh, consider, it, consider it dampened. If Beverly does have surgery, does this help KJ McDaniels back to fantasy relevance? I've answered that one. Do we give Alex Len another chance? I think you have to. Tyson Chandler is still out with a hamstring problem, so it looks like Len is going to start. He shows flashes, and he showed flashes last season, but he's maddeningly inconsistent. He is worth a late pick, and let's see how it pans out. Marquis Chris has had some flashy plays, and he's going to be another guy that I think I'm going to rail on a lot this season, and not because of anything he does, because he's looked impressive, but he's so highlighty. And by highlighty, I mean that people go, oh, Marquis Chris, what a block. And they don't show the highlights of him looking around like he had his head cut off and let five guys you know, just drive past him and get easy dunks. So people look, now nah, look, he had a, a sick alley-oop. He had a windmill from the free throw line. See that block he had? That's three plays. And then he probably had 20 shit ones. So that's what I mean. People will start to overvalue Chris a little bit. So Chris has got significant deficiencies defensively. He's blocking a lot of shots. He's rebounding at a much better rate. His offense looks really decent. He's athletic. He's explosive. He's hitting some threes. I really like his potential, but he's got a significant chance to be an overvalued player heading into this season just because of the highlight flashy nature of his game. All all that being said, Alex Lynn, I think, is the starter on opening night, so he's worth giving him a chance, yes. Pasha, I'm apologizing now because I'm going to mispronounce your surname. Pasha Zolfagari, barring any major injury, do you think Jared Salinger will start all season in Toronto? Yes, I do. 
And if he does, any chance he cracks the top 100? Yes, there's a chance, but now there's been a few people on Basketball Monster forums you know, mentioning about Salinger. I think I'm a little bit under in his projections. I've got him at 25 minutes a night. They're saying oh, he has to play at least 28 because he's going to be the backup center and he's going to play you know, bulk of the minutes at power forward. I'm not sure that he does. I think that they still want to give Patrick Patterson his 26 minutes at power forward. Um, they're going to get Beben Aguera in there at backup center as well. He's got the opportunity to be the primary backup center too. You know, Salinger, as a last pick, is absolutely a great flyer. He's got to watch his shooting percentages. They were really poor last season. He fell apart at the end of the year, but he's a really good rebounder. He can be a he can be a triple one guy, and he can be a useful top eighty fantasy player. Definitely. Do I think that he cracks the top one hundred? If I had to put money on it, I would say no. But he's absolutely worth a pick there, and he could end up playing twenty eight minutes a night. But part of what I look at is like I don't think that Raptors were overly enamored with him. He got a one-year, $6 million deal. It happened late in free agency. He wasn't a high-priority target of them. It's not like they go, we've got to get Jared Salinger. Let's go get him. Bang. Yeah, yeah. Tim Mozgov got $16 million a year. Salinger got one-year, $6 million. And, and I'm not saying that the Mozgov contract is what you should um, compare everything to because we know it's a little bit crazy. But you know, it's the same thing I principle I have with Lance Stevenson. Well, it took three months for someone to sign into a veteran minimum contract. I don't think he's going to have a massive role. Salinger's going to have a, a role, a significant role. But does he approach 30 minutes? I, I don't think so. Um, but he, he is a player that I've liked for a long time, so I, I don't have I don't have an issue with drafting him. I think that outside the top 100, it's fine. And that's probably where he finishes, but he does have the ability to go higher than that. I probably should have looked up uh, Jared Salinger's preseason numbers to, uh, to go with that. I'll, I'll look that up while we're talking about the next question, which comes from Joseph Diffenbach, who's a, uh, a great supporter of the show. So thank you, Joseph, for sending a question. He says, I'm seeing a trade revolving around Rudy Gay and Dragic being bandied about. Yeah, that, that looks like it's being killed at the moment. He says, are there any last second trades you foresee before opening night happens? I would be stunned. Maybe that's a little bit strong. I'll be shocked if we saw a trade happen between now and opening night. Obviously, the Philadelphia situation is one we're all monitoring. The Kings are always seem to be in discussions. The Phoenix Suns are another team. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see a, uh, a trade before opening night. Now, back to Salinger. Quickly, his preseason numbers. He's only played one game. 23 minutes, 7 and 10 with a steal and a block, shooting 33% from the field. Uh, I, I don't think that that's crazy to expect him to... to do that sort of thing throughout the season. And that's okay, but it's definitely not uh, mind-blowing. Julian Love. I've covered this question, Julian, but I'll read it out anyway because she sent it in. Can Stephen Adams be this good during the regular season? Probably not this level. I doubt he's getting 14 shot attempts per game, but he's going to be good. He's going to be better than he has been previously. Brent Pearson with the question of the day. Boxes or briefs? Not sure why you're really thinking about my underwear, uh, Brent, but whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Um, boxer briefs. I... I like some tightness around my uh, around my Red Rocks, and uh, I like the the short versions of them, not not the brief ones. Boxer briefs is that what they're called? You know, like tight shorts. That's the ones. Anyway, but most of the time, a lot a lot of the time, Brent, I don't wear any underwear. I'm sure you all care about that. Francis OKC says, has Terrence Jones played his way into standard league late round flyer status? I think he was already there, but again, he's a player that people get really excited about, but he's really an atrocious player. Um, But there's a chance he gets some minutes. Now, the fact that Anthony Davis is going to be back for opening night should dampen your enthusiasm. Pick him with a last round pick, but I reckon it'll be the first week in November before you drop him to the waiver wire. 
The next question comes from Eric Sparopoulos, and I, I recommend you check out Eric's uh, podcast, 94-foot 90 report, I think it's what it's 94-feet report maybe, Eric, sorry if I mispronounced that, check out his podcast. With the Pat Beverly injury news, are you looking at KJ McDaniels as a late-round flyer? Yep, spoke about that already. Vatsal Bell, who are some players who are possibly overvalued and to avoid in drafts? I've mentioned this plenty of times. Greg Munro is one of those guys I think gets overvalued. I think that Marcin Gortat is a little bit overvalued as well. Brad Beal is another player who I do think tends to get overvalued. So there are a couple of guys that I'm looking at as a potentially overvalued guys. At the upper end of the scale, Jimmy Butler I think gets a little bit overvalued. I think Al Horford can get a little bit overvalued in some situations as well. Diego Martinez comes in with another question we've had before. Is Steven Adams in play for most potential, most improved player? I think that's a great pick, Diego, so I do I do enjoy that one. Mika Delaney, he's got a couple of questions for us here. Luke Walton seems to be in love with Randall. Do we have to wait another year for Nance to take off? Probably. Um, and you're right about Walton and Randall, but Randall just has so many flaws to his game. Is Nance a late-round pick? Eh, he's probably a 14-team sort of guy. I don't hate grabbing him with a 12, in a 12-teamer, but as I said, after the first week of the season, we'll be able to see what's in store for the first month, and then we can move on from him. But he's significantly, he's got significantly more fantasy potential than Julius Randle does just from his ability to do defensive stuff. He's a guy that can get steals and get blocks. He's going to shoot a better percentage. He can probably shoot some more threes. Randle's a better rebounder, but overall, uh, Nance is the better player in fantasy and in real life, in my opinion. Mika backs it up says, in a team built around defensive stats and boards, including offensive boards, and punting free throw percentage, do you like Miles Plumley or Willie Reed? Willie Reed looked awesome, replacing Hassan Whiteside yesterday for the Heat, and I think that he is going to be their backup center. But Miles Plumley is going to start. Plumley is going to probably play five extra minutes over Reed. Reed has got significant potential, but I, w- I would probably take Plumley at this point just for his ability to get some extra blocks and some some rebounds but Reed is a, a name to keep an eye on so a really good question and Reed is a, a deep league guy that you do have to pay significant attention to Jeff Pardee Padre Padre sorry Jeff I know I always make, uh, mess your name up who's going to be better Jokic or Nurkic Jokic Jokic is going to be better now we're getting a lot of hype from Nurkic at the moment Jokic is going to be better who's the better investment season long well that's a, that's a different question. That depends, I guess, on where you draft them. If you're looking at investment that way, if I'm, look, if I'm going to make a bet who finishes higher ranking-wise, it's going to be Jokic. That's who I'm betting on. But if I'm getting Nurkic at 90, can he finish 50th? Yeah. If I'm getting Jokic at 35th, maybe the investment's not quite as good there. Zubin Petrao says, how old are Obama and Biz in reality? Now, Obama, I'm not really sure what that has to do with fantasy. I think he's just turned 50. But I, Zubin, I, I, uh, I'm hanging shit on you. I know you mean Serge Barker. How old are they in reality? I'd add an extra four years on to what they actually say they are. So that puts Biz at about 27 and Barker at about 30, I believe. So that's how old I think they are. But who knows? They're not. It's like a tree. I can cut their arm off and count the rings. There are certain tests they can do. And from what I have heard from people, that some of the things that they've looked at, they look to be about four years older than what they actually uh, say they are. Well, not that, I'm not saying they're lying. They just don't know a lot of these a lot of the times. So they're not necessarily... Look, sometimes people lie. We saw um, Shabazz Muhammad lie about his age in college. Um, and parents do that so they can beat up on younger competition to make them look better. That does happen. Not saying that's the case with Biombo or Ibaka at all. Yuval says, do you think Jabari Parker can become a top 50 player this season? Do you see him getting 19 and 8 with some defensive stats? Well, the problem with 
Jabari Parker is that he has never been a really good defensive stack guy. He doesn't block any shots. He got, I think, 1.2 steals as a rookie, 0.9 last season, which 1.2 is good, 0.9 not so good. And he didn't really ever project as being a good defensive stats sort of guy. What he needs to do to become a top 50 player is get some of those numbers and get some three-pointers. And he's taking a lot more three-pointers, and he's hitting some in preseason. So can he be a top 50 guy? I absolutely think he can be. 19 and 8, maybe the 8 is a little bit high because he has been a poor rebounder, and he is a poor defender. But he could average 20 points a game this season without Chris Middleton there. So yeah, he, he can be a, a top 50 player. No, no doubt, Yuval. Eric Wong, love your work. Thanks, Eric. With the news of Beverly's knee trouble, can we expect big things from McDaniel? McDaniels. I mean, an 18-team, 15-player league. Now, I've said this again, big things, no, but in a league your size, absolutely, you need to be grabbing. He's going to be a contributor in a league that size. Again, we don't know about Beverly 100%, but I'd say put it at 75 to 80% he's having surgery. El Baño Comando. A 12-team daily head-to-head league with four bench spots. I'm considering streaming the last spot. Do you ever stream to get more games in a week? Now, I could have just answered back and said yes. But I wanted to expand on the idea of streaming. If your league does not have a weekly acquisition limit, you need to instill one. If your league does not have a games played limit per per week, you need to consider installing one. If it has neither of those, if you do not stream probably two spots, you're putting yourself at a huge huge disadvantage. As I've mentioned before, you probably turn over the last four guys on your roster. If you don't have any restrictions, you can get yourself from the two roster spots 14 games, whereas if you just left them as they were, you could get seven games. It's massive. You absolutely have to stream. Now, if you've got restrictions on how many moves you can make, streaming is still an option and it's still in play can get you an extra three or four games but doing it smartly and that's where reading matt smith's schedule analysis each week will really help you and tell you about streaming options and tell you about plans grab a guy here because they've got a back-to-back monday and tuesday drop him grab someone from this team because they do back-to-back thursday friday who's got a back-to-back across the weekend maximizing games from moves in general when you make a move you want to make it so you get two games out of it and sometimes a back-to-back might not be a back-to-back. And I say that by going, okay, you add a guy on Sunday because he's going to play Monday, Tuesday. But what about if on Tuesday you've already got 10 guys who are going to play? Then, yeah, that's fine. Your bloke that you've added is going to play Monday, Tuesday, back-to-back. But on Tuesday, he's going to be sitting his ass on your bench. So in essence, you added him from Monday and there might have been someone better to add for that Monday, but you ignored him because you went, nah, you know, Ramon Sessions has got a back-to-back. It doesn't matter if he's sitting on the bench for the second half of that. So that's all comes down to it. But streaming is a significant strategy. And if you don't use it, most of the time you're going to lose. Unless you've just drafted completely out of this world, which is probable. And again, when we look on Basketball Monster, you can do your weekly head-to-head projections and have a look. How you project against this team? Have you got? Are you smashing him by 120 rebounds? Then it doesn't matter how much streaming he's going to do. He's not going to catch up to that most likely. But is every category close? You're going to have to you know, stream and stream in a common sense way. Stream for blocks because that's the category. That, look, I'm going to lose this category considerably. I'm going to win this one considerably. There's two up for grabs. Stream for those two categories. It doesn't matter who it is. Tony Allen might be shit in every other area, but I need steals and he plays four times. Can I get 10 steals out of him? Yeah, it's a possibility. 
stream for the categories you need. I reckon we're almost at the end of this. Last question comes from Rain. He says, if Marc Gasol stays healthy and adds that three-point shot to his game this season, where do you see him ranked? Top 30? Maybe. I have real concerns about Gasol now. Some of the reports, him he came into camp extremely overweight and out of shape last season after signing his contract. He was a little bit uh, doughy. He's always had that reputation, and he's not that this season. He's not doughy. I'm still really worried about him, though. Can he get to being a top 30 guy? Yeah, he can, especially if he adds a three-point shot. But so much decline last season. He looked completely off his game. Defensively, he just didn't look the same guy. He looked better in preseason. I'll give him that. Would I take him in the top 30? Absolutely not. There's just too much risk. You're expecting him to reverse a form slump at the age of 32, which is not easy to do. It's possible, and I, I think he can do it, but I'm not convinced. Plus, he's already got a foot problem. He's already got a bone bruise in the foot where he broke his foot. Different bone, but still, it's a concern. So, yeah, he can get to top 30, but I'm not taking him inside the top 50. If he falls outside the top 50, then he becomes uh, someone that I do have some interest in. All right, that is it for today. I thought today's podcast was going to go for 30 minutes. I've waffled on here for 50 minutes. I apologize that it's gone so long, but hopefully you got some stuff out of these draft tips that you can find useful. Again, Basketball Monster, our DFS content is going to be out in the next day or so um, for you to check out all our our daily fantasy projections. This goes for the people in Australia as well. We had Moneyball last year. We're probably going to be having Draft Stars information up there as well. Hopefully, I'm not speaking out of turn there, and hopefully, we've got that set up, but we are looking into Draft Stars getting that set up as well over on the site for the Australian DFS users. Of course, all the standard US ones, Yahoo!, DraftKings, FanDuel, plus a lot of the smaller ones as well, Fantasy Draft, those sort of things. And if you've ever got a DFS site you want added, you can uh, let us know by emailing support at basketballmonster.com and we can work out to get that set up. The DFS stuff will be out in the next couple of days. Your season-long drafts are coming up. I cannot recommend using our stuff any more highly. It sounds ridiculous coming from me, but we have got literally 70 articles written up on the site. We had 69 yesterday. Giggity! But I've written another one, and that's going up right now, so that's going to push us at 70. I probably should hold it off just to keep it at 69. But we're going to, we've got 70 articles. And some of these articles, I shit you not, are 12,000 words. The last two articles that Kyle wrote were both 9,000-word ones. I dropped a 10,000-word one, yes, a 10,000-word one yesterday. There is a lot of content. Aside from the content, the draft tracker is absolutely the best thing you can use in your draft. I talked about scarcity. I talked about building your team. Where are your strengths and weaknesses? Draft Tracker tells you all this. It is the best way to build a team. Play around with it in many mocks, but once you know what you're doing with it, it is extraordinarily powerful. Go and use that uh, sign-up bonus on FanDuel if you live in the States. $10 deposit and you get free membership. The membership's $40, I believe, for the season. It's not a huge amount of money, and if you play in, in expensive leagues, I don't think you can really go wrong with getting it. Even if you don't, like even before I worked at Basketball Monster, I didn't play in money leagues, but I still bought a membership because it was fun to me. And it actually, it helped me. I liked doing the research. I liked having all these tools at my disposal. I, I enjoyed the whole site and it was really fun to me. And 40 bucks wasn't much. You know, for people who go out on the weekend, 40 bucks, is it, is it half a night worth of drinks? Maybe. It's not that much for a full season worth. And let's be honest, we're all nerds. We're all stat nerds. We're all basketball nerds. Yeah, it's fun. So even if you're playing in a league where it's literally just pride, and that's a lot of the leagues, and most of the leagues I used to play in were just for pride, I I still bought the membership because I liked having an advantage. I liked having these tools, and it was fun to do. That's That's my sales pitch. 
check out SeatGeek and download the app and use that promo code LOFANTASY for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a review. Thanks to everyone who's done it. We're smashing out the reviews and the numbers for the show are absolutely bonkers at the moment. I've got certain goals in my head that I want the show to get to and we're going to get there way quicker than I anticipated, I think. Yeah, my, 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 my main goal, I wanted to get to... I want to get to half a million downloads a month and we're not far away from it. We're putting up some really huge numbers and this is one thing I want to say before I get into too ranty. People will say to me, love your show and that's great. I love hearing that. You know, a lot of people also giving me criticism saying, you know what, this bit didn't work, this bit was shit, Um, can you do this, can you do this? I like hearing that as well. If I get personal attacks that are based on nothing, no, I'm not a huge fan of that, but everyone's got their own right to say whatever they want. Criticism is fine. Praise is fine. I like getting all this stuff as well. But I often get people say to me, love your show. Sorry, can't tell my mates because I don't want them to have an advantage. I understand that. But I'll put it to you this way. And anyone I think who was in any of the Red Rock listener leagues, so we did 27 or 28 drafts of that over the off offseason, um, you know, the ones I was in, the Marcus Camby Roto Division and the Alan Ivinson Alan Iverson Champions League draft. Everyone in those leagues listens to this podcast, and every one of you who was in one of the listen leagues. And again, this is we're talking about say three hundred or four hundred people who are in these leagues, and there are you know many, 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 many more of you who listen to this show. So it doesn't apply to everyone, but there is a select few who are in these leagues, right? And you guys, if you want in these leagues next year, I put the information out in July and August. So that's when you need to be listening to find out the information for the listeners' leagues. But my point is. Those leagues, the drafts were really tough, but is it more fun to win a league where you know everyone is switched on, where everyone knows as much information as possible, and for you to come out on top and go, you know what, you guys all knew stuff, and I still kicked your ass, rather than going into a league, having Basketball Monster, listening to this podcast, and just smashing every team and going, I'm the greatest because you guys are all retarded, is, which one's more fun? Winning is fun, I know that, but is winning with a bigger challenge more fun? I think so. And those drafts that we did in the in the Champions League and the Roto League, they were really, really tough drafts, and it, it's super fun. It's fun when you've got to make a decision. Yeah, I'm not, I can't leave D'Angelo Russell to pick 100. I've got to go early. And my main point there is tell your friends. You might say, oh, this is my hidden advantage. Up, up the stakes, man. Play in some harder contests. Get everyone about here. And there's plenty of people who who listen to this show that don't even like fantasy. Now, today's show was very fantasy-based. But during the season, there's going to be plenty of information that you can get out of this podcast that's not fantasy-based. There's so many people that listen to this podcast, and it stuns me. I have other writers tell me, I don't play fantasy, but I listen to this. And I go, really? I go, yeah, I love it. I listen to it every day. It gives me a wrap-up on the NBA. So tell your mates, if they don't play fantasy, listen to this. This is the daily fantasy the, This is the daily fantasy show, but this is the daily, only daily NBA show in the world. We do seven days a week. We're the only one in the world. If people want to know what's happening in the NBA, this is the podcast. There's fantasy information in here, but there's a stack of real-life NBA information there. I cover all the NBA issues during the season. Tell all your friends, not Fantasy doesn't have to be people who like fantasy. This podcast covers the NBA. It covers fantasy basketball, and it is heavily slanted towards fantasy. But 
I guarantee you, if you don't listen to fantasy, you are going to get a ton of information out of this. And plenty of people can attest to that. People from all over the world listen to this and don't play a single second of fantasy or stop playing fantasy three or four years ago. Tell your friends, it is, it, it's something that I, that I don't ask very often, but if you could do something to help support the show, that is it. Get the word out. I want to smash through this half a million download barrier per month. Seriously, I reckon we might do it by by November. I reckon we're going to get there. I'd love to be able to smash through that. It helps me grow. Like I, I want to get things really happening with this show. I want to improve all the production quality. I want to improve the videos. I want to improve the content. I want to improve everything about it. And the only way to do that is by growing the audience, getting more sponsors on board, getting more money coming in so I can actually improve all my equipment and give you guys the best thing that I can give you. And that helps everyone in advance, everyone in total. All I need you to do is just tell some people, share it on Twitter, tell your friends in person, share it on your Facebook. Um, get the word out. Again, don't be scared of the competition. Embrace it and then go, you know what? You listen to Josh and I still kicked your ass. You are shit. That's it. Good luck if you're drafting against me in the Fantrax Cash League that's coming up tomorrow. Hopefully you all lose. Hopefully I win. Let's go with that. If your drafts are coming up, good luck. Tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to be looking at injuries. So we're going to be looking at all the injuries that are around in the NBA at the moment and how they look for the start of the season. So make sure you're tuned into that. Subscribe and you'll never miss an episode anyway. Leave a review. I've talked way too much shit here. We are done. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya.